All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rightly Dividing Podcast. I'm Carlos Frazier, your host, and today we are continuing in our series on the book of Hebrews. Last time we finished up verse 2 of chapter 1, and uh, I told you at the end of that episode that I felt like verse 3 needed an entire lesson all to itself, a full episode all to itself. Uh, but the fact is, I think this is going to take more than one episode just to cover verse number three, because there is so much to cover just in this one verse. There is so much powerful truth just in this one verse. that I think it's going to take at least two lessons to get all the way through this. Uh, but we're going to at least get started today on verse number three. Uh, but let's go ahead and we'll read verses one through three before we get started in the lesson. It says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So like I said, there's a whole lot of stuff right there in verse number three. And I do want to read it one more time. It's speaking of Jesus here when it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this is speaking of Jesus being the brightness of God's glory, and the express image of God's person. The structure of the phrasing here shows us that it is Jesus who is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person. That's what it means when it says who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So let's go ahead. Let's start looking at this verse. Let's start breaking it down. What all is the writer of Hebrews telling us about Jesus in this verse? Because just to reiterate again, I've reiterated this in the past couple of uh, episodes, but what the writer of Hebrews is doing here is he's telling us that God has now spoken to us by Jesus. And he is now giving the credentials of who Jesus is, the weight of the fact that Jesus is the one who has spoken to us. He's, he's laying that all out so that in chapter two, he can tell us because of all these things, because of who it is that is spoken, we should take the earnest heed to what we have heard. So right here in verse number three, what is it that the writer is telling us about Jesus? Well, it starts right off telling us that Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Okay, great. So Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. What does that mean? Well, we can, we can start to figure out what this means by looking at the word brightness. This word brightness is translated from the Greek word apaugasma, which is a word that means effulgence. And yes, I realized that when I said effulgence, you were thinking that I was either still speaking Greek or that maybe I had sneezed. But in fact, effulgence is indeed an English word. And it's a word that means a shining light or a radiant light. 
So you say, okay, Carlos, why didn't you just say a shining light? Why did you have to throw effulgence out there? Like anybody's going to know what that word means. I mean, that's a, that's a word that comes up in regular conversation all the time, isn't it? But it's more than just any old light. It's not just any light that shines. The word effulgence is a word that is specific and is reserved for specific lights that are not just shining, but are dazzling, that are stunning. So if you've ever been in a dark room and somebody lights a tea light candle, you can see by that tea light candle, it, it'll illuminate the room enough that you can, you know, kind of see your way around. You know, if the power's ever gone out and you've had to light candles around the house in order to be able to see, you know, that look of that dull glow of that low light. A lot of people have those little small night lights in the hallway in case they have to get up in the middle of the night. They don't trip over one of the kids' toys and break their neck or something like that. So they've got a, a night light set up. And those are a very low light and they have a dull glow to them. You would not use the word effulgence to describe that kind of light. Yes, that little light bulb in that night light is shining a light. Or, and yes, that little candle is shining a light. But it is not a dazzling light. It is not a stunning light. I don't see a candle and I'm, I'm not in awe of the light that I see. I'm not stunned. I'm not dazzled by the light that I see. But when I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I go outside and I look up at the sky and I see the stars shimmering in the sky, I'm dazzled by that shining light. Or when we've had a real cloudy day and the sun finally starts to break through the clouds and you can see those bright rays of sunshine streaming through the clouds, that's stunning, that's dazzling, that is effulgence. When I was a little kid, whenever I would see that, when the clouds are just starting to break apart and the sun is breaking through the clouds and those bright rays of sunshine shining down, I would see that and it's you know, like if we were driving down the road in the car with mom and dad, I would go, mom, dad, look, there's God. Because I had seen pictures in Bible picture books of when God is speaking to somebody, they always depict it as, you know, light shining through the clouds as when God is the one speaking in those little picture books. And so I saw that and I imagined, hey, that's God. There was something about that view. There was something about that light breaking through those clouds, that stunning, dazzling light, breaking through the darkness that caused me to look at that and say, hey, there's God. God is shining through the clouds. God is shining light down on us. Now, I realize there's an element to that that's silly. That's the imagination of a child. It's not necessarily Jesus coming down out of heaven. God is not that ray of sunshine. He's much more than that. I realize that there's, you know, a, an element of that that's, you know, kind of silly. I get that. I understand that. But at the same time, the same way that light breaks through the clouds and cuts through the darkness and is stunning and is dazzling, that is how Jesus came into this lost and dark world. John 1 and 9 speaks of Jesus and says that he was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So the same way those rays of sunshine cut through the clouds and, and bring light 
to a dark world. So Jesus came from the Father to bring light to a dark world, a world that was dark in sin. And to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And it tells us here that he is that true light, which lighteth every man which cometh into the world. Every person that lives, every person that comes into this world at one point or another, in one way or another, experiences or witnesses the light of Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, as we read here, that when Jesus came, his own received him not. He made the world, but the world knew him not. So when he came, even though he was the true light, men did not receive him. And the Bible tells us it's because they loved darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So wicked men and wicked women, evil people, sinner people who love their sin do not want the light of Christ because it illuminates their sin. It brings their sin to light and they don't want their sin brought to light. They want to hide in the darkness. But yet Jesus is that true light and Jesus being the brightness of God's glory, Jesus being that effulgence of God's glory, Jesus being that dazzling, stunning, shining light of God's glory. Another definition for effulgence would be radiant splendor because it is so stunning, because it is so dazzling and it radiates as a shining light. You could call it radiant splendor. So this statement here that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory, you could just as easily take that and say that Jesus is the radiant splendor of God's glory. He is the shining light, the shining, dazzling, splendorous light of God's glory. And the thing about radiant light, shining light, is that it emanates from a source. It radiates from a source. And so it is with Jesus. God's son came from the father. The father sent him unto us to be light unto us. Just like the sunshine radiates from the sun to bring us light and to bring us warmth, so Jesus came from the Father to bring us light and to bring us salvation, to bring us the gospel. Light that comes to us from the sun illuminates the world around us and reveals our outside physical world to us. It causes us to see what is around us. And you know something interesting about the sun is that you've never seen it. I've never seen the sun. You've never seen the sun. Because see, the fact is the sun radiates so much light that we can't see the sun itself. When you look up into the sky and you look up at that yellow ball up in the blue sky, what you see is not the sun itself. You see the light coming from the sun. You see all the light that is shining down from the sun. You can't see through the brightness of the sun in order to see the sun itself. It is so bright that its own light blinds us to the sun itself. They have actually used cameras on satellites and telescopes to actually take pictures of the surface of the sun. And it doesn't look anything at all like what I see when I look up in the sky. It's a very different image. In those images, it looks like one big swirling ball of liquid fire but when I look up, it looks like a ball of light. All I see when I look at with my naked eye, I see light. And you know, John 1.18 says, no man hath seen God at any time. Nobody's seen God. Just like you've never seen the sun with your naked eye, you've never seen God. No man has seen God at any time. 
the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So we've not seen the Father, but we've seen the Son. Just like I've not seen the Son, S-U-N, but I have seen the Son shine. And I have seen the light that comes from the Son. I've not seen the Father, but I have seen the Son, S-O-N, that came from the Father. I've met Him. I've seen how He declares the Father. I know the Father because I know the Son. The Father sent the Son to us. He is that radiant splendor of the Father. And because we have witnessed the Son, we now know of the Father because the Son is the one who has declared him. What I know about God the Father, I know because of God the Son. The relationship that I have with God the Father, I have because of God the Son. I was unfit to look upon God, but God's Son came to illuminate me because Jesus is the brightness of his glory. He is the radiant splendor of God's glory. He is the shining light of God. But not only is he the brightness of his glory, it goes on to say he is also the express image of his person. Now, in our modern world, we hear image of his person and we think, okay, that's a picture. So Jesus is a picture of what God looks like. Jesus is the image of how God appears, you know, the the image of his person. But if we take that assumption, we're actually wrong in two different ways. Because the fact is that term express image isn't talking about a picture. It's not talking about a painting or a photograph. I mean, it's obviously not talking about a photograph. The writer of Hebrews didn't know what a photograph was. But not only is express image not talking about a picture, but the word person there isn't just talking about the individual. But let's deal with those one at a time. The express image. This term is actually a reference to stamping the way, you know, where they would have like the wax seals and they would take a metal stamp and they would press it into the wax to put a signature on it. Or they would use a signet ring to do somewhat of the same thing and, and put an impression, you know, that would have an image in it. That's what this is a reference to when it says the express image. And now the express image could refer to the stamp itself, the little metal instrument or stone instrument, whatever it is that's used to make the impression. Or it could also refer to the impression itself. The indentation made by that stamping could be the express image or it could be the tool. Either one. Now, this is different than a copy. A copy is when you have one thing and you decide to make another one like it. So you've already got one painting and now you're going to paint a second painting that looks just like the first one, but they're two different paintings. This is different, but this express image, this stamping, taking this stamp and making an impression with it, making an indentation with this stamp and leaving the image of that stamp behind, it's not making a copy, but it's making an impression of the very thing itself. So that's the express image. In this context, we're talking about either the stamp that makes the indentation, makes the impression, or the impression itself. But what about his person? That Jesus is the express image of God's person. And I said that word person doesn't necessarily refer to, you know, an individual, not that use of the word person, but this use of the word person actually refers to the essence of who that person is, their very constitution, the thing that makes that person who they are. 
So with that being the context of the word person here, we see that Jesus is the express image of all that makes God, God, everything about God, every characteristic of God, the essence of who he is, his entire constitution, his eternality, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his mercy, his grace, his goodness, his forgiveness, his long suffering, everything about God that makes him God. The fact that God is love his perfect holiness, his perfect righteousness, everything about him. Jesus is the express image of that. So then knowing the context of the word person and knowing the context of express image that this is referring to a stamp, now we can look at this and we can see that Jesus being the express image of God's person shows that Jesus is like a stamp stamp that everything Jesus touches, everyone that Jesus impresses himself upon, he leaves a God-shaped impression behind. He bears the image. He bears the identical likeness of everything that God is and everything that he touches, everything that he presses on leaves a God-shaped impression. When Jesus touches your heart, it leaves a God-shaped mark on your heart. And here's the thing, you and I ought to be attempting to do likewise. We ought to be shining the light of Jesus. We ought to be showing God to this world. We ought to be doing our very best to leave God-shaped impressions on everyone around us. But here's the thing, we won't get it exactly right. Because I'm just a human, you're just a human. We are mere mortals and we can live as godly as we can. We can be as loving as we can. We can be as merciful and gracious as we can. But the thing about Jesus is he is the express image of God's person. He is exact. He has no flaw. He has no deviance. He is the express image of God's person. He is not a copy. And just to connect those dots for you, if he is the express image of God and he is exact and everything he touches leaves a perfect God-shaped impression, the only way he can do that, the only way he can be the express image of God's person, everything that God is, everything that makes him God, the only way that can be possible is if he is God himself. No angel could be the express image of everything that makes God, God. No created being could be the express image of everything that makes the Lord God. Only God himself can be the express image of God's own essence and God's own constitution. Only God could do this. So if Jesus is the express image of God's person, Jesus is God. And because of that, we should not falter at the fact that the very next thing that the writer of Hebrews tells us is that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Because see, this is something that the Hebrews would have understood only God can do. I'm going to read the verse one more time to put it all in context. Speaking of Jesus, it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So the structure of this is that while he is upholding all things by the word of his power, he now sits on the right hand of the majesty on high now that he has by himself purged our sins. 
That's the grammatical structure if we were to break it down here. But I'm going to I'm going to deal with the fact that he upholds all things by the word of his power. And then we're going to call this a lesson uh, because there's there's just too much left. I don't want this to be an hour long episode. So we're going to we're going to deal with the upholding all things by the word of his power. And then we'll deal with the rest of the verse in the next episode. But him upholding all things by the word of his power. I, I mentioned it, but this is something that the Hebrew readers of this epistle would have seen, would have read, and known that this is a claim of deity for Christ Jesus because they believed the only one who could hold the universe, the only one who could hold the universe together and uphold it, the only one who can do that is God himself. Psalm 33 verse 9 refers to the creation of the world. And it says, speaking of the Lord, it says, for he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. In other words, everything that God made was sustained and stayed the way he made it because he told it to. It was by his power. It was by God's power and authority that the universe remains intact and remains in place because God bids it so by his word. In fact, this phrase, the word of his power, when it says he upholds all things, in other words, the entire universe, when it says he upholds all things by the word of his power, the word of his power was a Hebrew phrase, which means by his command. So this becomes a direct cross-reference to Psalm 33, 9, because it says he commanded and it stood fast. And in Hebrews, it says that Jesus upholds all things by his command or by the word of his power. So to your Hebrew reader, this becomes a declaration of Christ's deity. And it also ties directly to Colossians 1, 16 and 17, where it says, For by him, speaking again of Jesus, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So Colossians tells us that by Jesus, all things consist. All things are maintained. All things are held in place. All things have their structure, have their consistency by Jesus. He upholds all things. And so the writer of Hebrews is essentially giving us the same information, just wording it different by saying that he upholds all things by the word of his power. Paul tells the Colossians that by Jesus, all things consist. The writer of Hebrews tells the Hebrews that by the word of his power, he upholds all things. And the psalmist says the Lord Yahweh commanded and it stood fast. So the Hebrews are familiar with the Psalms and they know that it was Yahweh who commanded that his creation should stand fast. And now the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews is telling them that Jesus, by the word of his power, by his command, upholds all things. So if it's God that upholds all things, if it's God that holds the universe together, but it's also Jesus that holds the universe together... Again, it's easy math. Jesus is God. 
Folks, we are only a little over halfway through verse number three, and we have already learned so much just from the first half of this verse, learned so much about who Jesus is and his relationship to the Father and his power and his authority just from this first half of the verse. God, I, I love the book of Hebrews, and this is why. And honestly, I hope that you all are enjoying this as much as I am. I am having a blast going through this and and digging into all the powerful truths about Jesus here in these verses. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. We're going to end this lesson here. We will deal with the last half of verse number three in the next episode. I hope you'll join us again then. Look for us in two weeks from the release of this one. We're doing every other Tuesday. So two weeks from the day that this episode comes out, be looking for the next one. I hope you'll be back because I'm going to be back and I don't want to be lonely. So I hope that you'll be here for the next episode as well. But until then, God bless you.